What is up, friends and family? It's time for another episode of Hype is My Superpower. I'm one of your hosts, Steve Storman in Brooklyn, New York, and joining me via the miracles of modern technology is my good buddy, Will Freeland. Will, how's it going? Steven. William. Uh, Remember when we went by our full names exclusively? (laughs) Yeah. It's a real (laughs) little little kid flex. Um, Apparently, so I guess when I was younger, when I was a toddler, my dad would say, Will, I am. (laughs) <laughs> and I apparently hated it and would just lose my mind because that's not how you pronounce William. <laughs> I don't even know if I knew that Will I Am was spelled or William right. is spelled Will I Am. And I don't know if he was trying to pretend like he was me or like where that was coming from, but I was not okay with it. <laughs> you were you were real particular about a lot of things as a little I, dude. Yeah, I had so many unfounded opinions that I refused to let go of as a child. Ridiculous. Well, uh, sounds like you've been busy, man. I've been so busy with comics. My every week, yeah, not with the rest of the last, <laughs> Over the last couple of days, it's just been comics. I really want to play Spider-Man Miles Morales, but I've got comics. Oh, you got your PS5. I got a PS5. Congrats I finally landed PS5. Yeah. I got an uh, Xbox Series X uh, like a month and a half ago. Look at you. Things are just coming up, William, right now. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, man. Well, I, on the other hand, have not been busy for comic stuff. I've just been trying to catch up on the rest of my life. After two weekends out of town, it's been really nice to be chill at home. Been playing a lot of Magic. Pre-release weekend for the new set was this week. That was a lot of fun. Got my hands on some new cards, see how the new mechanics work. And also, NBA Finals has turned into a really good series. Uh, Oh, nice. Where are we at right now? It's uh, just just finished game five. The Milwaukee Bucks are up three two on the on the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, it, it was kind of a bummer because most of the best teams in the league had their stars hurt, like one or two stars hurt. Mm. And it's just like, man, we're not getting like the highest quality basketball. This is a bummer. But the two teams are left. They're they're still really good, and they're putting together a hell of a show. So I'm I'm awesome. really yeah. The games have been back and forth and close, and lots of big shots, and and uh, just it's at the point in the series where both teams know each other's playbooks and tendencies so deeply that it's just completely in the muck, and they just have to do stuff that isn't very good and doesn't work well because their bread and butter That's is what so keep completely them. well covered. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Cool. Yeah, and I I love that that point in a basketball series. So yeah, basketball's good, magic's good, life is good. That's what I like to hear, man. Yeah. So uh so you you as we mentioned before, you read a lot. What did you read this week? Man, okay, so I finished the second half of Champions Outlawed, uh, which is Champions Volume One. Yeah. I read Miss Marvel Volume Three, Outlawed. I read Road to Empire. Thankfully, Road to Empire is quote unquote only incoming number one, which you Road already to read. Em- which I already read. Yeah, Road to Empire: The Kree Scroll War, which is okay. super interesting. Oh, and then the- I would like to because I went back and read the crease the original Kree Scroll War. Once upon a time, just because I was like, this is a big moment in comic, you know, comic history. Is, yeah. I want to I want to see what it's all about. So I'm interested to to provide some context and some backstory there. Cool. Yeah. yeah. OK, so and then and then the end of it is the the Empire Handbook, 
which is basically an update ad to the Avengers handbook that is just like a book of just like a Wikipedia article on right. paper of yeah, everything yeah, that's yeah. going on. Mm-hmm. The way that they organize their like period uh, sentence by sentence history is kind of like what I think I want to do with our um, readings. Cause like they just, they name drop everything and they don't really, and, but they don't like let themselves tangent off and be like, okay, so what happened there was. (laughs) um, I like the tangents. I have to say they're they're good for the pod. (laughs) They are. Okay. The people want them. This helped me figure out one, what title this happened in. And so I have technically Mm. read it, but apparently I was not in the right headspace to, to, to keep it in, but uh, where they explain Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver's true ge- genealogy, uh, it got explored in Uncanny Avengers, and like all they... things, blame Rick Remender. <laughs> yeah, basically. So, um, <laughs> so the High Evolutionary empowered them not through mutant genes, right? And they are not Magneto's children. So it's a high evolutionary tampering, whatever. Um, a la Jessica Drew, but not Hydra. And yeah, it, for for uh, for Wanda, it's kind of whatever. But yeah, there's so much about Pietro. Well, yeah, his character because I mean, he lost his so, powers during so M Day. Deeply so... about being Magneto's son, and just like right. and and just his his character traits, like his temperament and his mm-hmm. like so many things are just incredibly like they've drawn from that for so many decades of storylines. Well, to be Mephisto's advocate here. <laughs> that could just be because he believed he was well it could be something a conversation of nature versus nurture sure but, but it's not like they were raised by stretching. magneto they like they 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 found <laughs> yeah. out that they were magneto's kids <laughs> after yeah. they were already part of the brotherhood of evil mutants and i was gonna say they're founding members of the brother brotherhood of evil mutants and then you would expect not and then not knowing they're magneto's kids and then later found out and then later found out they weren't it's like how many revelations can you have about your parentage that's yeah but again right this is it's all business decisions it's it's not even comics it's movies it's 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 it no there's no reason for any of this except that they wanted scarlet witch in avengers and ed quicksilver in the x-men movies and they did a faustian bargain and split the difference they they cut the baby in half and then (laughs) and then and then they they yeah yeah okay i am inclined to agree for the most part because that's generally what happens to a lot of the things i love in in marvel comics uh-huh. um but this also falls under the like yeah but we're rewriting their backstory and it and it's comics and it's just the next season of the soap opera yeah that's My true guy. <laughs> that's true okay okay i'll get i'm always telling you to get over yourself i'll get over myself so i'm trying <laughs> i'm trying i'm trying to let it be what it is sure sure <laughs> but um Please i I, I, I don't it's... like to your point so i don't like quicksilver not being a mutant but with wanda they're so all over the place with what, what is her powers um, are her mutant power versus yeah. her like gypsy magic 
like, and where's the line between the two? One empowers the other, one enforces the other. It's such a all over the place. Like they've been able to down to the atom explain <laughs> all the other major mutants. Right. <laughs> and then they get to Wanda and they're just and like just a big old she shrug just, emoji. She does yeah. things. <laughs> She has hex powers, and by definition, they're undefinable. Right. <laughs> like, cool. Uh, thanks for that. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I yeah, with, with Wanda, you know, do what you want. But I agree. Quicksilver, it doesn't make sense for him to be anything but a mutant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially with all the history that he's got. But again, yeah. Yeah. What it is. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. so um, Empire Handbook uh, was a lot of fun. And so, it basically, you have, like, the Wikipedia article for everything and everywhere that is involved both locations and characters sure. in empire yeah and there's a lot okay uh, it's really i mean and then so after roads empire read empire and empire is avengers fantastic four um, and it's it's the big crossover for the year it is the big it is the it's the, the 2020 crossover yes the the big the big summer blockbuster yes it's the, it's the avengers movie of 2020 yeah it's funny because like so for the big crossovers avengers have to be involved because it's avengers right uh, but now like, they didn't have to you know before avengers got big but yeah yeah i mean like you get you get like you get infinity and avengers are going to be somehow involved uh even though it's very much a kree and human story and cosmic and so yeah yeah and so with this you have kree scroll they they, they deep history on that bit, for, for the uh for the avengers you know kree scroll war was there is an avengers storyline Yes, but as far as comic involvement, they're usually involved with like Fantastic Four type stuff. True. To scroll yeah. individually or, or yeah. pretty here and there. That's true. <sighs> so, um, <laughs> so okay, so we're, I'm just going to finish off Outlawed real quick and then we yeah, can really please. dive into Empire. So, Outlaw. Because cool. Outlaw was kind of the other like big, big event yeah. of 2020. So, yeah, so it kind of goes into why the younger heroes are not involved in Empire, even though it doesn't really matter um, because it's right. two very different levels of story as far mm-hmm. as like one's taking place in American politics and one is taking place in cosmic galactic empires. And that is a cool <laughs> way that that uh, Marvel kind of divvies up their characters and, and makes makes different stories compelling at different levels of stakes um, for different characters. Absolutely. Cause yeah, like someone like Miles Morales or Kamala Khan, right. Not necessarily they they may have an opinion, but how involved are you really going to (laughs) get? Yeah. Um, And there's, I mean, it it can be like a fun story when they do go out into, you know, cosmic matters, but generally their bread and butter is going to be closer to home. Yeah. So last episode um, I talked, it ended with um, Scott Summers, adult Scott, Right. Um, vouching for the champions and being like they're on their emissaries of Krakoa, blah, blah, blah. Once a champion, always a champion. Yeah. Once a champion, always a champion. And so uh, Pixie teleports them away to the Marauder. And he's like, hey, so uh, I lied to the authorities because I, I asked <laughs> I asked the Quiet Council if we could bring you to Krakoa. And they said no. So oh. um, this is the next best thing I could come up with. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah. So he just brought them 
them to, well, sorry, he brought them to one of Riri's secret bunkers where he tells them uh, that Viv Vision is the reason why Cradle is no, knows where they are all the time. Oh. And so now that, so yeah, so we find out that Viv Vision survived and Viv has this guilt of the entire situation and she feels that the champions should be locked up for their own safety blah 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 okay uh sorry it's not locked up they get they Just get taken put in of- a in like a re-education school kind of thing <laughs> of like this is you these are the dangers of your powers kind of a thing um yeah, and boy. until you learn until you go through this education program sponsored by cradle we can't let you out of our sight kind of thing um right. So basically, like they are, like I said last time, like they're really leaning in. So there's no way this is going to like this is not going to be as long lasting as a superhero registration act. Right. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah. So um they're just burning through all of their their plot equity here. Yeah. yeah. So Senator Patrick gets gets his eyes opened to how cruel Cradle is being because they got uh, videos from the education centers uh, sent out across the world. Uh, the champions came across it and they released it. And so the senators like, this is not what I wanted. This is not what we agreed upon. Cradle, right. you guys as an organization are going too far. We got to take you off. Viv Vision goes on a like personal journey. She gets uh, brought in by this old, this older black woman who basically shows her uh, kindness and compassion and and find out that she was a member of the civil rights movement. Oh, cool. um, she, she did a sit in at one of the like counters where yeah. um, there you see like those classic videos of, yeah, um, yeah. of African-Americans sitting at the counter, just sitting there and white people yelling at him, screaming at him and all totally. this stuff. So yeah. she was one of them. Cool. Um, and That's so awesome. she spoke to her experience of standing for what you believe in, what is right, even if it means that your friends are going to be hurt. And so Viv has a change of heart thanks to her. <sighs> and so Cal- the senator is like, okay, I know I still feel the way I feel about young superheroes, but I see now that we've gone about it the wrong way. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think that, that some concessions can be made. Let's go back to the floor on this. So Cradle doesn't technically get disbanded, but they get unendorsed by the sure. government. Um, a lot of this is because Roxxon was one of the financial backers because all government entities are are backed by large companies. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I'm, I meant that as like an actual. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so this isn't making fun of a comic strobe. This is just <laughs> this is pointing out the real world. Yeah. This is Marvel reflecting the real world here. Yeah. <laughs> so um, and so because of that, the next champions storyline involves Sam Alexander, who is Nova and Miles Morales joining an internship program for social media for Roxxon and um, trying to infiltrate from the inside. So it's interesting that the timing of this is them uh, joining social media team while you have the new mutants wanting to go and fight a social media app. That's uh, true. Yeah. For docs. So that's just kind of fun. Um, No, no, no. Go ahead. I, 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 this is bringing up a lot of questions for me, but I want to ask them at the end. 
Okay. I'm just I'm just curious in in the larger sense of because when I first heard about outlawed as a thing and sort of this massive government crackdown on on young people, you know, expressing it 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 there was a lot of it it seemed like there were very natural parallels or similarities between just how fucking radical and and mobilized young people are right now in yeah. like the climate justice movement in the black lives matter movement mm-hmm. and so on and so forth and i was really hoping that they would be able to to do that I didn't know if that was a conscious parallel. It seemed like it. It sounds it's, like it, it absolutely the, yes. is. And I so, was just curious like, how all that the was protests, handled. all yeah. of the protesters were led by young people also. Right. Uh, both on, on both sides of oh, the coin. Interesting. Okay. Um, and so, and, and so, and like we'd mentioned last episode, like the adults, all the adults that are involved are just the like basically like the grunts for cradle that are like just <laughs> doing their job kind of a thing. Yeah. And so every other perspective has been from one of the uh, some young adults perspective. I would have to that point, I would have really liked to have seen one of two things actually. One, okay. a like a frontline outlawed oh, side yeah. story. Yeah. Which would have been really being, cool. Being a a a feature or a title that the, that Marvel brings in as a side story to a lot of large events that is focused on news coverage, right? It's sort of the journalistic sort of boots on the ground lived in feel for a lot of these superhero stories. Yeah. Civil war frontline is still so good. One of my favorite go-to sleeper titles. Absolutely. I'm just standalone, just books. Totally. So good. So good. So good. Um, <laughs> or I would have liked to have seen that kind of perspective in Miss Marvel outlawed mm. uh, because she's very much that type. She she is yeah. charismatic enough and, yes. and driven enough that she would do something like that. Yeah. And honestly, maybe if Wilson was still on the title, Wilson is uh, G. Willow Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. It was the first writer for Miss Marvel. Yeah. If she were still on the title, because she had eight, nine, 10 volumes of yeah. Miss Marvel. Yeah. I think she would have done it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this last, uh, these last three volumes have been by Saladin Ahmed. Yeah. And the first two volumes spent more time with Miss Marvel and expanding the superhero side, exploring the superhero side, or sure. whereas uh, Wilson's run was focused more on Kamala Khan. So um, I know you've been down on Ahmed's run on um, on Ms. Marvel. I, and I noticed last night that he's also writing Miles Morales. Yeah. Is it, is it uh, that you're not as much a fan of his writing in general or just not a good fit for the character? Um, That's a good question. Uh, You know, I guess. Okay. So the two things that I really love in solo titles Mm -hmm. are either taking the character in a mind blowing new direction Sure. That like opens up, not like not doesn't have to be like a new power, but like a new responsibility, a new role, something that like can be a, for a colder phrase, <laughs> something you that can be used in like a team title or a crossover, like okay. something bigger, something that can be bigger for that character. Okay, or I want to see an exploration of the not the human because it's not always a human <laughs> but like the, the, the civilian side yeah yeah and Ahmed's runs on Miles and Miss 
Morales, I mean, Miss <laughs> Miss Marvel aren't really doing those. Interesting. Um, huh. They, and if they do, maybe it's just the, how he writes that's not sitting with me as well. Sure. Um, it could be the way that the dialogue is done, but yeah, the, it's just, it doesn't, doesn't land as much for me. Like, Interesting. I mean, if Kamala's dad is going through this like major sickness, um, yeah. and that, okay. So that actually, that was really big. Um, <laughs> uh, that was the last volume in volume two storm ranger, right? That one hit home. Okay, cool. For sure. But he's only had three volumes with Miss Marvel sure. compared to Wilson's 10. Right. And so like I have more to pull from. Tough <laughs> And it's a hard act to follow. Yeah. And um, like you just, so in direct comparison, yeah. uh, Kamala's in these last three volumes, you haven't seen Kamala go to um, the mosque at all. Okay. Yeah. Um, there doesn't seem to be a shining a spotlight on uh, Muslim tradition as mm-hmm. much. Um, it gets okay. mentioned here and there and they still use Muslim words for like Abba, Abi right. and all that kind of stuff. But it just, it just doesn't feel um, as in touch with where Kamala was established for lack of a better Mm, yeah, this is yeah, just kind okay. of a reactionary um, answer. I don't. Uh-huh. I, I'm sure I could come up with a better one if I sat on it for a little bit. Sure, um, but like, and what they're doing with Miles is uh, is cool. Exploring the fact that we have a six one six with two Miles Morales. This is, um, <laughs> but at the same time, the world can have two Miles Morales. Like, right? That's not that not, big a deal. There's been clones. I guarantee you, there's probably another Stephen Stormin out in the world. <laughs> there <There's> are probably. <laughs> There are three other Steven Stormans out in the world. There you go. And One. they're not from alternate universes. I don't think nope. you are. No, <laughs> 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 no. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, little known fact. So one is my one is my uncle. Huh. Uh, one is like my grandpa's cousin or something like that. Like a more distant relative. The last yeah. one that I know of is a war criminal. He's the the architect of the Abu Ghraib uh, prison, like torture prison in Iraq. What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my gosh! I know it's terrifying. Wow. Yeah, that's insane. It's insane. It's so weird. What a namesake! Right? <laughs> gosh! Wow. See, but then like that just it's like th- this <laughs> this concept that there's only ever going to be one of each name right is like i'm surprised that that hasn't been explored that's a good point yeah like I, and it's funny because that actually stood out to me that was one of the last things that stood out to me about empire uh because they did a name drop and uh the person was like wait as in my this person and you, <laughs> it's just like exactly right yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um but yeah like it, it, it's it, i don't know like yeah. it's it was a story that they can tell. And so it's, it's fine. But like um, this obsession with there's only ever going to be one. It's not like when someone's born, uh, like my parents had to fill out Copyright. an online form in the eighties yeah. and say, <laughs> William Kent Freeland. And it's not a username hasn't been taken. So you're good. So, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So the, uh, the Miss Marvel uh, outlawed title really just kind of the first couple of issues explore her being kind of so again this is called kamala's law because kamala khan was presumed not presumed dead but like drastically hurt in the attack on cole's hospitalized yeah yeah and so she's dealing with being in the spotlight that way but her her civilian identity being in the spotlight where still nobody knows that she's ms marvel right right 
Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but like, it felt like they didn't spend too much time on that because they did so much in Champions. So, mm-hmm. like, it was really just like two issues of it. Champions okay. happened. And then the next couple of issues are her running away from Cradle. And then there's a time jump because Champions happened. And uh, it's back to like post outlawed. This is oh. my life still going forward kind of thing. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, huh. Yeah. So, it, it was the story itself, the outlawed story. Yeah. Um, I think I hope we'll continue on mm. as far as like, this is a law that we have to figure out. Right. Um, but it's pretty much a done deal from these two books. Sure. But yeah, I, I do think, I think it would have been better if there was a, a frontline um, type thing. Yeah. Or just the third third book. Yeah. It's like, it's crazy that, that there isn't like, I don't know, like, is there still a, an Ironheart book or a Sam Alexander and Alexander Nova book? Uh, Nova's not going Ironheart. Okay. Um, I read Ironheart just recently, but right. it was just a side story. It was like a one issue thing. Okay. Um, so they didn't have a, any, any substantial outlaw tie in for that. No. Okay. It, yeah. It was just like the one or two issues of interesting. Uh, She's not allowed to. Oh, it was um, it was the with the AI stuff. Oh my gosh, oh, why do I right. not remember this? But anyway, because she has an AI that drives her armor, she calls it Nicole because that's okay. the name of her best friend. She had to put on the armor, but she didn't want to because being a super is outlawed. And so, in the first like two issues of Champions, she's not active. She's just Riri Williams sitting on the huh. couch, hiding from the world because her identity is public, as opposed to Nova and oh. Spider Man and all them. Oh, okay. so didn't she didn't she want Cradle. Yeah, so she didn't want huh. Cradle showing up at her house. So she's like, "Fine, I'm off duty. It's fine." Wow. But by in Champions, by like the third issue, she's on the run with the other champions. Right. So in her armor. So like, <laughs> so that side AI so story, real, yeah. yeah, had to be just like two issues of her reluctantly putting on the armor and then immediately taking it off and being like, "That didn't happen. I'm going back home." <laughs> so it's just right. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where they're going to go or what they're going to do after that. Sure. Okay. Empire. Empire. Yeah. Empire. All right. So, so if you will flash back with me for a second, we have, um, <laughs> so we have, uh, Beldam and Raxor. They, uh, Beldam is a Kree. Raxor is a scroll. They right. were, um, in the in the long past, they were fighting each other on uh, the blue area of the moon during uh, Medusa and Black Bolt's wedding, which is why the Fantastic Four were there. And then sure. the Fantastic Four uh, devised a plan. I don't. I haven't read this. I just know that it happened. Yeah. Um, they devised a plan to trick them into um, coming up with a common enemy, which were the Inhumans and the Fantastic Four. And so they teamed up and they. Uh, beat them quote unquote realize that they can get more done together than they can at war with each other and so they work together in secret to try to bring an end to the Kree Shiar uh, Kree uh, scroll war Um, then they are hiding on earth and then in incoming uh, we have Beldan was murdered by a plant and we have Raxor and they said beware the trees and he's like oh no that means and then a tree sprouted out of him and he died Oh, so that that happened in incoming is the the tree right. explosion, right? Um, and that's how it ended. And well, and then we get a flash over to 
uh, Teddy Altman, um, also known as Dorek the Eighth, as or the Hulkling. king or Hulkling, as the king of the Alliance, and he's like, "We need to go and kill the Earth. The final war begins now." So that scene of him rallying the troops. <laughs> was kind of a misdirect to mm. get us hyped to think that the the Kree scroll are coming to earth to destroy earth right so uh when he pulls up the hologram it shows earth and the moon and he never actually says earth mm. <laughs> he just says this enemy and technically his <laughs> star sword is pointing towards the moon not to earth because this is where they're headed um, okay and said, right. this enemy <laughs> make ready the fleet join our forces as one the journey to the soul system the final war begins now because okay so <laughs> so we get to the issue road to empire the kree scroll war and um there was a book a bit ago called meet the scrolls okay and john it was one of the last things that he ever like suggested to me, even though I was going to get it anyway. I was just, just really not excited about it. It was also one of the last things that I, well, not one of the last, but one of the handful of things that I've messaged you and him about in our like non-existent oh, right. bro chat. So um, <laughs> meet, up, meet the scrolls is like kind of like vision, but for scroll agents. Mm, it's these that's cool. Yeah. And it's very like kind of super spy. It's like it's like James Bond vision. Oh, that sounds lo- like a lot of fun. Yeah, I was so surprised. So <laughs> um so we have uh parent and mo- uh, father and and mother. They are agents of the scroll empire. Um they have three daughters. They are all um trained uh, agents to try to basically uh, bring the scroll empire back to um, greatness. Yeah. Uh, Make the scroll empire great. Um, again. Yeah. <laughs> While they are here, the uh, scrollos explodes and um, they are, the mom is, is a diligent agent. So she keeps on sending in recordings um, as they go about. And mm. then in this mission, which is after the meet the scrolls, it was only a one ish, one volume storyline. Sure. Yeah. They come across a Cree secret base and in it, they find this leaf and it's like, what, why is there this leaf? Why is it so important? So they use this issue to give us the history of the Cree scroll war. Okay. What happened, how it happened, why it happened. I think this is going to be a much better synopsis with the benefit of hindsight and modern storytelling techniques than the actual Cree scroll war that happened in comics. Yeah. Well, yeah real mess so the kree scroll war that happened on earth um was just part of it because okay uh, yeah cosmically the kree scroll war is the longest war right. in the entire galaxy it's been going yeah. on for millennia yeah and so what we saw what we see in new york right is just like a skirmish yeah of the kree scroll war yeah but that is technically how we as readers get introduced to the fact that there is a Kree scroll war. Right. So they find this plant and the mom explains the history of the scrolls first. Okay. Um, Turns out the scroll empire or the scrolls were peaceful. Mm -hmm. Um, They were a peaceful people. They developed interstellar travel and emperor Dorek the first, which is interesting because yeah, 
Teddy Elliman is Doric the Eighth. Anyway, Doric the First decided to expand the the Scroll Empire, and but their method of doing it was a peaceful, interesting like delegation. Basically, he would go to a planet, uh, share their technology with them, and in doing so, considered them part of the Scroll Empire. Right. Very Roman. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was kind of his approach, and then for whatever reason, when he got to Halla. He found two species there. There's the the blue right. pink Cree that we know, yeah, um, uh, led by Morag, and then we have the Kotati, okay. who are a plant people uh, that that communicate via um, telepathy. Sure. So for whatever reason, Doric was like, okay, well, I only want one species to be in charge of the planet of Hala. So I need to figure out who Hala is going to go to and then who will then be part of the Skrull Empire. Okay. For whatever reason. So what he does is he uh, takes a handful, I think think it's like 70 or something of each species and puts them on two different moons uh, across the galaxy, gives them a whole bunch of supply crates of scroll technology and is like, Mm. do with this what you will. I'll come back and we'll see who like used our tech better. And that's who will will, uh, um, inherit Hala. Weird, and but okay. I, I agree. So he took the Cree to Earth's moon and created the blue area of the moon. Sure. So this is built by the scrolls. Is a even though yeah historically it's always yeah. been a Cree thing. Yeah. But whatever. So right. the blue area itself was created by the scrolls, and then the Cree led by Morag on the blue area of the moon took the um technology and built a sprawling city. Okay. Um. And then they're all super proud of that. And then he goes to the moon that he took the Kotati to, and they didn't use any of the technology. Uh-huh. They just sprouted this giant jungle garden place. Uh-huh. It was a place of peace and harmony. Sounds pretty dope. Yeah. So Dorek finds, goes to the Cree first, sees what they've built, takes the takes the Cree and they and takes them over to the um, Kotati moon. Morag is like, oh, geez, judging by the reaction of Doric, we're not going to win this uh, competition. Mm. So he and the Kree kill the Kotati, attack Doric, uh, kill Doric, I think. Um, Basically, they're just like, we need to make sure that uh, we are the winners of this competition. And in doing that action, the Kree and Skrull both go from, Boom, well, the Kree who are yeah. always belligerent and the Skrull right. go from peace to, okay, well, fucking, they killed our king. So right. now we're in this battle and it has gone on for millennia. <laughs> um, <laughs> enter, always, always what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Enter any number of stories and war stories right. throughout this entire yep. millennia's long fight. Eventually their, their battle ends up on Earth. Avengers get involved. Um, yeah. The the mom and dad from Meet the Scrolls were in a raiding party on in involved in that battle, and so they remember seeing the Avengers. Blah blah blah. Cool. Um, so there are oh geez, okay. Uh, <laughs> we get this woman who um, 
who is called the Celestial Madonna. Okay. Uh, she, she is born the perfect human female. It was a prophecy that she would, she would come to be. And there is a prophecy that the Celestial Madonna and the Kotati would create a union and produce the Celestial Messiah. <laughs> so the Celestial Madonna is Mantis, right? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> they are pulling all of these like old stories and bring them all yeah. together. It's so yeah, much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, so yes, Mantis is the celestial Madonna. And uh, while that's happening, there's a group of peaceful people, peaceful people on Hala and they become the priests of Palma. And instead of doing the technology route, they do the like uh, spiritual route and okay. they, in their practices, they get, summoned by something down into the depths of Hala and they find some surviving Kotati and they're like, Oh my gosh, Kotati, you're still alive. You guys were peaceful. Let's be friends. And so the priests of Palma take all these different Kotati uh, survivors and take them to all these different planets all around the world, all around the galaxy. Okay. I guess universe, um, including uh, earth and they like basically like plant them on these planets to be like, please survive, please live and prosper. Sure. Uh, so the earth has some Kotati. Okay. So then we get, uh, and then all of a sudden the prophecy came true. Mantis is born. She's a super powerful empath, just like the Kotati. She becomes an Avenger mm-hmm. and she falls in love with Swordsman. Swordsman right. is the man that trained Hawkeye and the two of them, have a child together you know nothing swordsman uh-huh. <laughs> not today <laughs> um but uh so they have a child together and he is actually the first avengers baby oh. in like in in the avengers time wow. um, okay so that's kind of cool the uh i didn't know they actually had a baby interesting they did the name uh their son's name is sequoia his nickname is Koi, and that's how he goes by. Well, he goes okay. by um, going forward. Uh, he has super plant powers. Uh, Sweet. He Thor helped raise him, uh, so Thor knows about him, and he kind of got shunted off into history, like you um, do with children, because yeah, <laughs> superhero exactly. comics they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Yes. <sighs> and then, so going forward, you have Teddy Altman who yeah. is the son of Anel, who is the um, the queen of the scroll yep. and the son of Marvel, Captain mm-hmm. Marvel. Yeah. Um, uh, who is when, a, who is a uh, famous Cree warrior. Sorry. Yeah. He's Cree. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there was a prophecy that the son of a Cree and the child of a Cree and a scroll would bring about uh, universal peace and then to the war works in saga right oh you, you still haven't read saga right yeah. anyway i have not read saga yet <laughs> uh and so because of this prophecy when anel had a child out of wedlock the king tried to oh had them killed uh but anel sent baby teddy with her nanny very <laughs> like every surviving child story um they they teleported off to earth um and the nanny raised teddy as her own in hopes that 
uh, he would meet and be inspired by Marvell. Okay. Marvell, his father ends up uh, dying of cancer. Yep. Uh, and so he has no parents. Uh, Kulert, the super scroll, mm-hmm. um, shows up and kills his nanny mother. Oh, um, that's not a very nice thing to do. Yeah, right. Kulert has an interesting history of being good and on, bad. And, on both sides. Yeah. He's very loyal to the throne. Okay. And there have been so many people who have been on the throne that his allegiances have been a little all over the place. Yeah. Like okay. right now, Teddy Altman is on the on the throne. And okay. so he feels terrible for killing his uh, nanny mother, but he's dutifully serving Teddy for whatever he asks sure it's uh, so it's just crease scroll fights here and there blah 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 sure. and then that meet the scrolls story ends with the scroll family finding this Cree family basically doing the same thing and as soon as they're about to fight a transmission comes in and uh, it's teddy's message saying everybody we're one empire we're coming Okay. So that brings up the question of what the heck is, is, is empire. And um, yeah, it's interesting because it's kind of an extreme version of the Kree scroll war, but with different enemies. So you have the Kree scroll Alliance who are now headed up by Teddy, who is making their way to Earth for some reason. We come to find out that that reason is because the, the Kotati have uh, and Sequoia have taken over the abandoned Cree city in the blue area of the moon oh. and created this thing. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a death blossom seed. Cool. And by adding the word blossom, it makes it no longer the death seed that Apocalypse is obsessed with. So anyway, so there's a death blossom seed uh, on, on the blue area of the moon. And using that it extends Sequoia's plant controlling powers to pretty much all of earth. And he has an army plant beings and he basically has control over all non-sentient plant life on earth, specifically non-sentient. So you have beings like Kokoa and Groot and um, any other (laughs) plant-based being. Uh, And so they will, they aren't controlled. So we come to find out like two thirds of the way through the storyline that he is, he really wants to get to Wakanda because he needs the vibranium enriched soil. So he, he wants to get to the vibranium mound, uh, mountain, use the soil there and using the vibranium enriched soil, he'll be able to plant a death blossom seed there and have control over all sentient plant life across the galaxy. Like shit. Wow. Okay. Because metaphysics. So of course. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and they're basically like the comparison is like, he was able to use, the dirt and dust on the moon with the death blossom seed. And just from that, he was able to control the entire earth plant population, take soil that is enriched with vibranium and actually potent. And theoretically, yeah, for whatever reason, that means stronger plant, which means stronger control. Okay. So that is vibrations. And, vi- and and vibrations. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that is the Kotati plan. 
And that's one part of Empire is okay. that entire storyline. The other storyline is Teddy being on the way to fight the Kotati, who the Kotati, uh, and they come to the Avengers show up on the Blue Ray of the Moon and they come across a revived swordsman um, oh. who's all green. The Kotati uh, revived him. Um, uh, plant, plant green. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, so he's basically Kotati controlled, but they're using he's uh, they're using that form to um, kind of be a father figure for Koya for Koi, and the alliance the Kree Scroll Alliance are on their way to go and fight them. But the history Earth's history of the Korean Scroll is very negative, and Earth's history with the Kotati and Swordsman specifically, and Koi with Thor vouching for him is very positive. And so the Avengers are there to fight the Shi'ar, the the Kree Scroll uh, Alliance showing up, only to find out that Koi is going to use Earth to destroy everything. And so the, so then they're like, oh my gosh, we fucked up. We got to stop the Kotati now. And so you get this like switch, this like bait and switch t- uh, turntables thing. Sure. Um, t- <laughs> table turning thing. Uh, <laughs> then for Teddy's role, he's trying to literally just stop slash kill the Kotati. And in the middle of all this, uh, he's convinced to go take a, to go get some rest, and uh, he gets jumped by Talrand, uh, who is a Kree pursuer, okay. and by uh, Captain Glory, who is a Kree super soldier um, called Glory, uh, and they always call him Glory, kind of like Marvel. It's Captain Marvel. Sure. So um, find out that Talrand is actually a scroll uh, in disguise and uh, it is Teddy's grandma, a next mother who uh, through some shady happenings that we see in a post post issue uh, storyline teleported off of the planet as it was being devoured by Galactus. So, okay. um, And she only did that. She was happy to die with the planet until Annette told her about, the fact that Teddy is still alive. And she's like, oh, the child of prophecy is still still around. Well, that gives me some renewed hope. Bye. And just <laughs> pieces out <laughs> and, and works to go and uh, create this entire situation. So she, under the guise of Talrand, who I believe is dead, goes and locks up Teddy, puts him in this like mask, this iron mask that makes it so he can't shapeshift and takes his form and leads the emp- the alliance for about two issues. And in those two issues, they they unleash this doomsday last resort. If we can't fight, if we can't win with diplomacy, we'll just burn it all plan of this thing called the Pyre, P-Y-R-E. Sure. And the Pyre is... A they had such a cool name for it, but I, I can't immediately find it. And I didn't have my stickies when I was at Chipotle reading this. But it's um basically basically cosmonuclear warfare, but oh astronuclear warfare. That's what it was. Oh it's it's a it's a it is a weapon of astronuclear warfare, and what it That's does is you shunt it into the star of a solar system and it overloads the star, which expands and takes out the entire solar system. It basically kills a Good star. God. It's yeah. a star, it's a star killer. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> so grandma in the form of Teddy goes and gives 
gives the go ahead to go and use pyre. So we go into the last uh, issue with Tony and Reed uh, being like, holy crap. <laughs> so we've got the, the death blossom seed has been planted and pyre is active in the sun. We've got nine minutes before the death blossom seed will take hold and we lose. But then we've got about eight minutes before the sun explodes and we lose. So what are we going to do? And it ends with this kind of fun team up of Tony Stark made a suit, uh, an an Iron Man suit for Reed to use uh, because they figured out how they're going to fight the plants. And then they use a unstable molecule suit from Reed to go and save the sun. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> it's, oh my gosh, dude, it's weird and wild. Um, there's this other side plot that we'll have to, I guess, eventually talk about at some point, but um, <laughs> <laughs> there's, man, there's so many things, but um, basically it ends with, it's funny that we say vibrations because they discovered, well, they, they theorized that the plants are all communicating via some sort of sound uh, type of communication. And so while they can't block that communication, they can uh, use sound vibrations to muddy the message to basically block the communication. But it's basically, instead of hearing one person talking, you're in the middle of a crowd kind of a thing. Sure. So uh, that's the stuff that they equipped Reed's uh, suit with. And so he goes there and then uh, Tony uses a teleportation device, the freaking unstable molecules to basically wrap it around the core of the sun. (laughs) Okay. So, (laughs) okay. The fusion reaction powering suns burns hot or cold, depending on the density of elements at the core. The pyre must work by injecting the core with denser elements like iron, probably via teleport. So using the power of Avengers mountain, a dead celestial, we teleport in the solution. Reed's suit. What he uh, made of what he calls unstable molecules, molecules designed to adapt to even a Nova heat. Keeping in mind that, you know, Johnny Storm can still wear the suit and right. it doesn't fucking right, go away. Yeah. And they can be programmed like nanomachines programmed to replicate and then attack those denser elements until the balance is restored. Remove the iron and remove the problem. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so. This poor, the poor son now has an <laughs> Yggdrasil tree growing out of the side. It has, <laughs> it has a Fantastic Four unst- unstable molecule suit wrapped around its core <laughs> to, to balance it out. Because, I mean, assuming that the suit works in every way it's supposed to, at least it's removing the uh, pyre stuff and not just like keeping it at bay in case it ever like runs out of battery or something <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then on either side of it it's got counter earth and earth <laughs> going around it not to even mention the dyson sphere that tony created um a handful of uh storylines ago and which also- now the enemies of the mutants are using right. to create uh the where they have the uh mega mold just yeah. hanging out the on the other side of the planet sphere yeah oh my god <laughs> just, <laughs> like it's wild so basically that's how they ended the two they uh teddy uses 
his grandma's explosive personality to get the better of her, puts her in the locking thing. One of the other things that saved the day is, uh, so we have the big three going off and figuring out their own methods. So Captain America is okay. going to have his side story where he's going around leading and gathering the troops. Yeah. Uh, Thor went off to go find a cosmic godly solution to what's going on. Yeah. Which, which I can't wait to read. And then, uh, and then we have Thor uh, um, Iron Man story, which happened in empire of him okay. uh, working on the suit and working on the instead of molecules. molecules. Sure, sure. So, you know, you have your, your climax where everyone uh, has all of their side stories finish and come back yeah. uh, in true Avenger style. Yeah. And so <laughs> Reed shows up with his suit and he explains what's going on. And Koi's like, you brought a speaker to this battle and you think that's going to help you? Like what possibly, what sounds could you possibly make that's going to uh, save you? And he, and Reed, his speech bubble is like an ellipsis. And then he says, Avengers Assemble. And then it flips to the next page and you have every freaking like side team, Avengers team just show up. And like, you've got like, you've got like the blue Marvel you've got uh, and, and the people he associates with, you have the uh, agents of Wakanda, you have the Avengers proper, you've got young Avengers showing up, you've got uh, mutants showing up. It's just a cluster F of all the, all the big guys. And it's like, it's one of the things those where, are always fun you, yeah you'll, you live for the the payoff yeah it's exactly and it's just it's so much fun to see and you're yeah. just like oh yeah get them <laughs> and i believe <laughs> this is i i want to say this is the first time reed richards has ever said avengers assemble and that was fun um <laughs> and then they're still finding a crap ton of plants and you have thor show up he is like he's got Instead of blue lightning that I was obsessed with in in the in his right. uh, solo title, right, he's right. got this green lightning going on, and oh. you're like, "What the f is going on?" And he says, "I am Thor, the Gaia son, because his mom. So his mom is not Freya. His mom is Gaia, oh, and okay. um, and Freya raised him in reluctance, even though Odin cheated on her and had or no, sure. Gaia was first. Gaia was first. Then they broke up." And then Odin got with Freya and uh, she helped raise Thor as her own, but he was already like a young child. Anyway, so in his side story, he's going to go and hang out with Gaia, I assume, and get and get and and figure out these like Earth life powers that I'm so excited to see. That is dope. That is um, oh, man. Uh, and so he basically with his, you know, Odin all father level power removes the um koi's influence over all plant life power stuff on the planet and he's like no <laughs> he just says i say the day <laughs> um mother gaia plays no favorites wizards of the kotati her magic is stronger than yours and in her name let thy power be revoked sick so so that's his one hit ko because he's a god he just gets to show up and do that um and then you have your individual little like small uh duels kind of signing off uh mantis shows back up and she's been trying to like talk to him talk him down and be nice (laughs) um and it ends with teddy with his star sword and throne um 
you have Captain Marvel became an accuser uh, oh. here. She was given um, Ronin's hammer. That's crazy. And then, yeah. So that's kind of the main story. Sure. The um, a handful of like other like plot points and side takeaways in incoming when Billy and Teddy both had an hour left in their apartment before they each had to go and do their own things again. Yeah. Uh, they went. They teleported to Vegas and got married. Cool. Um, then the uh, the rest of the founding Avengers were there for it as witnesses, and it was nice. And we just found that out here. And then in the in aftermath, it's called Empire Aftermath Avengers. They have a f- true uh, royal wedding. Cool. And they invite all of the superheroes ever. We have these two kids who were born to the Kree and Skrull empires. One was uh, a Skrull girl and a Cree boy um, who were sold to this elder of the universe called the uh, profiteer. She okay. is, she's also known as uh, like a war profiteer. And so she has from day one been the, the like arms dealer for both sides of the Cree and uh, scroll war. And she also has a, an arena a la, Grandmaster from Ragnarok, kind of a thing, uh, sure. from the movie for Ragnarok. Right, right, right. Um, so she, you know, has a financial financial reason for keeping the Kree Scroll War going. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and so, even though they have this alliance, she has these two children who she keeps on healing and pitting against each other in her arena every single day. Um, So she, she has, she has them fight because the Kree scroll empire or it's Kree scroll war. Everyone knows it. So everyone loves to see uh, this little battle between the two. And she has these like hollow decks that she can recreate any major uh, battle scene from, from major war, major, um, battles in the war and yeah. so she's so she's doing all that and that's been and the fantastic four get involved because they show up there and they're like well this is ridiculous and so they free the uh the two kids and mm-hmm. um the whole point behind that is at the end of it teddy uh bequeaths them to um to ben and alicia uh oh. And so they have now adopted these two children. Oh, cool. So that's going to be interesting. We'll see where that goes. Yeah. <laughs> Koi has been using these weapons that have just, that were just rocking the Korean scroll uh, warriors. Mm. And uh, Reed was like, um, what are those from? By the way, this is all, these are all conversations and stuff that are happening in the aftermath issues. Yeah. It's like, where are those from? Where'd you get it? And he's like, I'm not telling you. And they, so like, Hey, profiteer, since you were this like war profiteer for these guys, yeah. you tell us. And she's like, I've taken a look and um, I have no idea. <laughs> and they're like, um, all right. And she's like, yeah, that must, that it's not something I've never seen before. So it must be, honestly, it must be from a time before the, uh, the elders of the universe. 
and uh and you're like what excuse so these conversations and all this aftermath stuff are all happening on the blue area of the moon okay uh, for those that don't know uh other references to the blue area of the moon that have happened are um atalan where the inhumans are from used to be yeah. there um uatu the watcher uh yeah. his home is in the blue area of the moon most of the area is the abandoned Cree city, which then turned into a garden, which is now back to a Cree city. <laughs> and then also Cyclops has the summer's house on the blue area of the moon. Yep. Uh, so that's all there in original Jean, sin. Jean Grey's original trial at the end of the dark Phoenix saga was on the blue area of the moon on the blue area as it was, it was a, a quote unquote neutral space. <laughs> right. So in original sin, uh, Uatu dies. Uh, he's, he's murdered and you're trying to figure out what's going on. Yep. turns out Nick Fury is the one that murdered him. Nick Fury senior. And he took, he took one of his eyes orb got the other eye. Uh, right. but anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, so random. and in taking his eye, he got chained to the blue area of the moon and he has become the, the unseen, um, right. and taking on the role of the watcher basically. Yep. So after everyone leaves, we have the unseen being like, they didn't know where those weapons came from. Let me, um, let me take a look at those. And so Nick Fury being a man with a keen interest in weapons. He is. So he says <laughs> the Kotati weapons who provided the Kotati with, with arms that could overpower both the Kree and the scrolls who made you show me. And he's lifting <laughs> them up and he's like, diving in with his glowing eye yeah. says the profiteer wasn't lying. This technology is ancient. It predates the elders of the universe, the Asgardians, the celestials. It's my God. It's from the first race, something this eye hasn't seen since. And then his eye like explodes out. And then you have speech bubbles of a alien language that we don't know. And then all of a sudden Uwatu comes back. What? Like pops out of the eye. <laughs> and then, so Nick says, Uwatu, you're back. How? How is this even possible? Well, something to say, damn it. And Uwatu with one eye, he has just a socket for his other eye. Yeah. He says, there shall be a reckoning. And then that's the last thing in the entire book. Sweet. Um, and so we, but we don't know what that reckoning is going to be. And then it's going to um, be next year's crossover. <laughs> you, um, and then also the other two things that happened in this aftermath is um, Dora. So in the wedding brand agent brand, she uh, confronts Carol because Carol used to be the head of alpha flight, which is now an interstellar space basically sword at sword and alpha flight joined together For real yeah oh yeah <laughs> you went you went from canada straight to space yeah yeah it's uh yeah. they're interstellar to jump <laughs> They've been in a cellar for a bit now, but yes, they, um, and yeah, Carol yeah. Danvers was the head of and Carol Danvers, um, during she's not uh, Canadian, <laughs> she's not, but, but so she inherited. So yeah, it's all alpha flight, which was a reformed sword. Um, okay. It is what it is. So it is what it uh, is. while she sure. was at the head, her second in command was Abigail brand. Who used to be the head of sword. Uh, since she has stepped down, brand is at the head and, uh, brand, kind of called Carol out and was like, you know what Alpha Flight is. You know that we are like the intergalactic response division. Like, why didn't you get us involved? This mm. like this happened on the blue moon undetected. Right. The Kotati stuff. Yeah, and 
you didn't think to let us know. Mm-hmm. And Carol was like, yeah, I, I had planned to let you guys know. I'm, I'm really sorry. And she's like, planned to. And so she basically gets offended that they were not brought in. She was like, yeah, the, the seven of you decided to hold the entire fate of pretty much the universe in your hands and not get Alpha Flight involved. Cool. So she was like, F this. Alpha Flight doesn't work. I'm out. Uh, So she quits. And you also have Teddy's grandma saying, you're going to wish you listened to me about some shit. And you get... uh, So the two Aftermath issues... Sorry, it's called Empire Fallout, not Aftermath. There's Empire Fallout, Fantastic Four, and Empire Fallout Avengers. Fantastic Four ends with the the Watcher stuff. Um, Avengers ends with a showing of the future and Teddy messed up and he says, uh, grandmother was right uh, more about more than I wanted to admit. My friends, my enemies, the earth, alpha flight, all of it, I should have listened. And you have a voice on uh, off screen saying you really should have. I warned you all the way back at your wedding party, your highness, alpha flight doesn't work. It shows some glasses that Brand is known for. Then it has her big splash. The caption is the end of empire and says, that's why I built something better. Let's go. And it looks like Eden Fessy in the back. um, Okay. Teleporting her away. And so, and it says the end of empire and the start of what comes next. And that's just labeled as the future. So I don't know when that's happening, but those are kind of the two big things to happen. Quote unquote next. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, yeah. Also, Thor doesn't have his Gaia power anymore. Okay. Um, they decide they're not going to kill Koi and his um, Kotati priests. Yeah. And they teleport them to a plant, a barren planet. And Koi is like, really, you're going to take us to this desert planet to, for us to quote unquote live F off. Yeah. And he's like, come on. I thought a little bit more about this. And <laughs> he uses the his entire Gaia gift to terraform the earth that planet and make it all green and lush yeah um and he's like you guys just live here leave us alone you guys can just thrive on your own and they're like okay (laughs) but it was uh it only lasted all of two issues but (laughs) he, he no longer has his gaia power but i hope that he has more knowledge and um yeah they like koi doesn't recognize the star system he's in completely in uncharted space with no maps, no ships, no way back to you at all. And he's like, yeah, that's the point. So (laughs) yeah, a lot of, a lot of takeaways, a lot of stuff happened. Other like things happened that were like, not like gut wrenching, but like, oh man, that's, that's big. Like they used uh, Jen Walters, she Hulk, like seemingly killed her and then did like a, a plant thing. Like they did um, in Terra Verde. Oh, uh um, And uh, they used her as like a husk. And that was just like, I felt so bad for her that like my heart was like hurting for her. Um, And the only way they stopped her, uh, the only way she ended up getting stopped was she opened the green door and went through it. And so that's a whole thing. Uh, So she's back now and she's back to her like poorly grammatically correct self. Oh, Um, right. That's right. She was, she was savage or whatever yeah and she so so now canonically she's had more experience with the green door which i hope that they'll explore in immortal hulk some more yeah but uh the green door is the like connection to the one below all and like the true hell kind of a thing so sure uh 
we'll see how if that goes anywhere yeah but um yeah there was just there was some really good scenes and oh they used it was only a one-off and it stresses me out so much but the grandma got i i don't remember her name (laughs) but no i know but so she actually so she was the reference of like when she got revealed (laughs) yeah uh that teddy was like wait as in like clark my grandma (laughs) her kill (laughs) and that's what i was like oh come on um uh urkill is her name r apostrophe (laughs) k-l-l-l And so he says, Urkel, as in my grandma, <laughs> because <laughs> there could be other scrolls named <laughs> Urkel. He says, you're that Urkel, my grandmother. And it's just like, exactly. Thank you. But anyway. It looks she, like she's been a character since 1979, too. Yeah. She, I mean, she's she's yeah. been, she's a Cree. I mean, she's a scroll uh, right. royal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, she's definitely been around. She got the a similar upgrade that the super scrolls got in secret invasion where uh-huh. they had like 85 powers of different um, superheroes and all that kind of stuff. Right. But the whole idea behind that is that they were able to mask most detection technologies. Mm-hmm. Uh, she got an upgrade version of upgraded version of that, the power scroll technology, sorry, not super scroll. They're able to, she's able to mask her scrolling DNA just like, and they explain it as just like the image inducer inducers of the Shi'ar, but operating at the nano scale, mentally controlled. So, okay. like each individual like molecule right. is image induced. It's, it's like Some that tech. idea is just mind blowing. But then she <laughs> kills everyone, and she kills all the scientists. So she's the only one that has that like super cloaking dna of course thing. yeah um but that was just super cool <laughs> um but yeah it was it was pretty it was a pretty wild trip because i didn't really know who the bad guys were like oh sure, I, yeah. I could only root for when i saw an avenger because <laughs> like the kree scroll empire is like the kree scroll alliance is teased as being the big bad right and then but you're like but Teddy and but yeah, like, but it's being led by Teddy, yeah. and then on top of that, you have the Kutati they, led by led by who were supposed who were good guys, right? And led by the like god nephew of Thor and a resurrected swordsman who died in Avenger. Like, right. oh, should we be voting for them? But then they both have this world, this galaxy reality ending thing going on at the end where you have either nine minutes left to save this or eight minutes left to stop this. And it's yeah. just like, oh, so they're both bad. Oh my, it was, it was, <laughs> um, it was a fun read. I had so much fun reading it. Um, but next is all the side stories. Yeah. I historically love side stories. So I'm excited to hear about these question for you. Yes. Um, so they did, Infinity a couple of years before Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. And I mean, obviously, like there's oh. much older plots about, you know, the Infinity Gems and all of that to draw from, but it really seemed like they pulled like things like uh the Black Order, the Black Order Proxima Midnight, Corvus Glaive, um, 
and Ebon Moth, you know, they were new characters that, you know, and, and like being able to pull, you know, visual language from recent stories and things that, you know, track it well with, you know, modern storytelling <laughs> conventions and stuff like that. Does this change your idea at all that they might be pulling towards a Kree scroll war in the MCU? I feel like, yeah, I don't know, because the way they've introduced both the well the kree has been super militaristic so potentially yeah. but like they've made the the scroll to be very much like the original original way back when scrolls but also like there might be some and- weird things going on with they might not be as entirely chill as yeah, they've been that's true yeah considering that they're doing this I'm especially because Man- they brought back Mantis and Mantis is such a hit with and Guardians too. But like, yeah. I can I can see them setting up having more material to work with. Yeah, to do a convincing Kree Scroll War because yeah. like the you know Infinity that storyline literally happened because there was a prophecy that was his face Thanos's child is going to stop him slash right. kill him right and so he he and the Black Order go around the galaxy um sure but that's killing all like all of the all of the children of every civilization he's been to between the ages of <laughs> 15 and 25 because he's slept with a female of that civilization across the universe it's mind-blowing like that was not used obviously but (laughs) but i mean more like you know they're they're having characters having characters having like visuals to draw from just some sort of like or just prime the pump so that we know what to expect from from a larger release i don't know i i'm curious it yeah i could see I could see that being involved with like a phase five, the way they're making phase four is it's, it's really leaning to this multiverse thing. Um, Yeah. I'm not excited about it. Like I've, I've had 25 movies to learn to trust Marvel studios. Right. (laughs) But I just conceptually before I see anything, I'm not stoked. (laughs) Sure. I'm not big on multiverse. It gets, I guess it just gets, it gets, it's just, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's by nature convoluted and right. And so it, 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 it reduces the impact of death. If yes. you have an audience, especially a like moviegoer audience that yeah. doesn't read the comics. Right. It, it kind of just, I feel like people are going to be able to be like, well, we'll just pull right. Uh, a Natasha from another universe. Right. I mean, they already did it with Gamora and right. that was just within the same universe. <laughs> right. So like, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not j- time travel was as far as I was willing to go with MCU. Now that totally. I'm doing multiverse and time travel and I'm like, Oh boy. Yeah. So we'll see. And like, it just sucks. Cause and I think, I think we agree on this too, but like, you don't have to keep going bigger. Right. You know, yeah. like, the the infinity saga is a big deal but your next story doesn't have to be multiple infinity sagas (laughs) 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 you know like they're 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 building up like people want to see like kang or galactus or nihilus would be fun like i just plenty of time to get to any and all of those but yeah yeah but like those aren't they're not bigger than thanos they just they provide a good story that they can tell. (laughs) Right. 
Yeah. But like, I, I'm, I'm worried that they're going to feel like they got to keep on going bigger and bigger. Yeah. And at which point, like, stop, man. Yeah. Just stop, man. Are- but, uh, oh, man. I actually have, I have something that, I think it would be fun to talk about after you finish Loki. After I finish Loki. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. There maybe, maybe tonight. Yeah. Um, right. So, so there are, um, I want to say four uh, side books. Okay. So that's, yeah, that's uh, a reasonable week. Oh, uh, five. Okay. So maybe two weeks. <laughs> no, nah, it's one week. It's fine. Uh, All right. Empire, Captain America, and the New Avengers, uh, Lords of Empire, which I think will just be like the one-off side stories here and there. Cool. Uh, Captain Marvel, Accused. So it's because by the by the uh, in Fallout, she has passed on the Accuser title to someone else. Ah. Uh, <laughs> so let's just be her. Fantastic and- for. Hmm? Oh, just that it's Captain Marvel accused. Does the person she passed it off to then accuse her? No. So (laughs) (laughs) So dismissive. (laughs) Um, Fantastic Four Volume 6, which looks to be following Fantastic Four, which is Franklin, Valeria, Spider-Man, and Logan. Oh, that's Um, it four different yeah yeah Yeah. i don't know how they got logan to join but we'll see (laughs) we'll see how that happens sweet okay and then empire x-men those four issues uh which i believe we'll both be reading yes Ooh, ooh, this will be a first penance is here oh Um, now i have no i it i have no idea who penance is right now i guess it's the the m twins right because there's monet Mm -hmm. and in the at the beginning of gen x monet was penance and monet's younger sisters nicole and claudette were masquerading as m and then i think eventually they got switched yeah i don't no, the last time I saw Penance was, um, gosh, uh, M-Plate was involved. Yeah, uh, I mean, because M-Plate's their brother, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and he was keeping Penance against her will, but okay. Okay. I don't know I don't know if Penance was a single entity or if it was the twins hiding right. again. Yeah. Because I, I didn't know about the the whole sister oh, yeah. thing uh-huh. the, or the 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 twins thing i always thought penance was a single person mm-hmm. but considering all the switcheroo-ness in the past i don't know if that's even actually so apparently penance was originally intended to be her own character who was not related to the saint croix at all and there was no actual monet there was just uh. nicole and claudette pretending to be monet and after he left, so like essentially exactly right now where I am in 1998 reading, he left Generation X and they just trampled all over whatever plans he had, which, right, dude, you had three years on the title and you didn't do any of these reveals, like <laughs> what <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Nomon. So yeah, Nomon. Let's get Tell into me it. about the, the rest of chapter one, man. The rest of chapter one. So. Yeah, there's there's a lot. So again, I did a, a, a good amount of front loading just because the the setting and the characters, you know, it, just going into like being able to put those down and in place. Like some of that draws from knowledge of future chapters, etc. But yeah, um, it's it's kind of just good to spend extra time on and establish uh, early on. So 
uh, where we lost, left off last week, Neith did her, she spent some time looking over the records, pl- the psychic playback of uh, Hunter's, the beginning of Hunter's interrogation with Hunter's mind on the screen. And then uh, she did her daily voting for the system. And I introduced, uh, talked about the um, monitoring bill with the wit- uh, putting the witness in people's heads. Mm. And it's interesting, by the way. Yeah, it is. It's because it's it. <laughs> it's it's so it's so dystopian and utopian at the same time. Like it is it's hard to see at this point in the story. It's hard to see anything that might be bad or wrong about it, except for the fact that we could just have an instinctual idea that it's bad or wrong, like that this level of surveillance is not good. Right. But everything is like done towards these very pro-social and like community minded democratic intentions and ends. And, you know, I'm, I'm a real stick in the mud. So I have some obvious affinity (laughs) with somebody like Diane Hunter, who, or Diana Hunter, who is a skeptic and, you know, a real Luddite about it, but I could see somebody who, who doesn't have my, my biases and my notions about something like this being, seeing her as the eccentric and the crank that the, the book kind of builds her towards and Mm -hmm. that the system, like, yeah, it, it says it's good for everybody. And like, for the most part, it really is, you know, and it's this very, very rare incident that it actually killed somebody like uh, or was bad to anybody in any way, let alone killed her. So mm. or, you know, who knows how or why she died. So that's a great segue into the next part of the story here where Neith goes after after uh, the voting, she decides to do some, you know, good old fashioned detective work alongside this sort of memory playback part of, you know, she's trying to build a larger picture of who was Hunter? How did she die? What are the, you know, how does somebody die under care of the witness? This isn't supposed to happen, etc. So she goes to the coroner coroner's name is Teresa Hind. And Teresa is, this is, I haven't seen Teresa pop up again. So I think this is more an uh, explanation of sort of the, the system and the society around her. But Teresa, it says, Teresa Hind. Hind wears a badge with a rainbow on it. A few decades ago, this would have meant something about her sexual orientation, but now it's a polite signal to Neith and anyone else Hind interacts with that she is not neurotypical. Her brain touches a particular peak of the modern medical taxonomy that includes some autisms and various perceptual and processing functions such as synesthesia, instructional rather than acquired uh, hypervigilance. So Hind, one more quote on Hind, the badge alerts people to the context of their inter- of their interaction. This is not mandated or even recommended by the system. It's just an outgrowth of everyone being able to query things about one another through a data connection. Rather than make people go through the business of getting offended and then doing a search on her, then being embarrassed for not realizing or remembering that her consciousness is a bit different from theirs, Hind chooses, as many or most people in her situation now do, to identify her status in advance. There are many advantages to the end of privacy, and one of them is the obsolescence of social awkwardness. The inspector finds this outcome both efficient and laudable. Yeah. So, so they, yeah. So anyone can just like, you know, they're like talking to her and they find something like socially awkward or, or again, she's on some sort of autism spectrum or, or um, in not neurotypical. And they're like, well, that was weird. What's up with her? And then they Google her 
you know, in their, in their ever present display. Yeah. And it's like, oh, she's not neurotypical. Okay. But so are they saying that a, is this a repurposed symbol or is now, are they, are they implying that uh, members of the LGBTQ community are not neurotypical? That's yeah. That's, uh, I didn't think of that. I, I think it's a repurposed symbol. Yeah. Uh, But, but I think, I think the comparison is more to, to point at like, at one point it would have been really terrible to have to wear a badge marking you as queer or LGBTQ or even not neurotypical or a certain um, Mm -hmm. religion or whatever, or, or just a badge that marks you different at most points in history is, you know, an invitation for persecution and prejudice. And at, at this point it is considered polite or just like an easy way to move along with uh, awkwardness because this information was, was always private anyway, or, or was always public anyway. I mean, like there's, there's no, there's no hiding this. So she wears the badge just to make it even faster. Okay. Okay. It's fine. With you. That was my, my first yeah. takeaway. And I was like, yeah, whoa, yeah, yeah. whoa, whoa, yeah, totally. that is a statement. <laughs> that is. Yeah. That's a good point. I didn't think of it okay. that way. Yeah, for sure. But I think, I think this is the point that they're trying to make here. So Neith asks about the cause of death and Hind says it's exhaustion. She says the proximate cause is stroke, but the body was worn out as if she'd been running for days. I mean, running to the point of crisis, not jogging the brain, most especially no term, no tumor no lesions, you know, nothing that is, uh, you know, no gross physical cause or abnormalities found that are found to be the cause of death. You know, she asks if it was a medical error or malpractice. And, you know, Hines says it could have been, could have been deliberate. She died because she was overtaxed for a prolonged period. Was that scientifically knowable? Yes. Was it culpably so? Unclear. I gathered they were in new territory. Perhaps they shouldn't have been. It's possible that she went from nominal to flatline very fast. It can happen that way. Blah, 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 blah. Basically that she says these are interesting, but not medical questions, right? Did they take steps uh, uh, to measure her risk? Was that risk proportional to the need? Or theoretically, was it intended that she not survive? Again, she's a coroner. She does not answer these kind of questions. She mm-hmm. determines cause of death. Hind also says she looks like you. And this is sort of the first physical physical description of Hunter. And if they look alike, then, you know, description of, of uh, Neith as well. So the inspector considers the woman on the table, 30 years her senior, dark brown skin fading around wrinkles and very clearly deceased. Hind has put her back together with great sympathy, but the evidence of keyhole neurosurgery and various stents, shunts and insertions is not erased. The coroner's own investigations are concealed for the most part by a modest green blanket. Still, there might be something there. Same ha- hairline, perhaps, but different hair. Generous mouths, but quirked, differently quirked, or rather, Hunter Hunter's mouth is quirked, suggesting that she smiled often, and the dead muscles are tugging her lips even now into the posture most adopted in life. Not much in the face, Hind says, following the line of her gaze. Body shape, skeletal structure, rib curvature, and disposition of the hips. She pauses. Perhaps it's not obvious from the outside. <laughs> Neith agrees that it is and changes the subject. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, 
to to continue, Neith is asking herself, like, her, for now, her task is to know the woman. Who was Diana Hunter? If you'd answer that question, what would she have said? I am the woman in her prime of life. Yes, it's the first thing she said when uh, out loud when she was taken into the interrogation before the psychic thing, which had the feel of a quotation. You know, that's probably a quote. I, I'll, I'm going to look that up and I'll, I'll see what it's in reference to. They they clearly say right here on the page, I was, I'm a woman in the prime of life. Yes. And the rest, which had the feel of a quotation, but perhaps you so. Okay. Mm. This is clearly a quote. I'll have to see what it's from because <laughs> uh, everything's a reference to everything. And so she decides, you know, to get to know her better, she's going to go to her house. So, you know, first there's a scene of her in Hunter's neighborhood. It's a very sort of brutalist area with, uh, you know, she lives in kind of like near to a big old housing project, ugly valley of brutalist real estate, uh, brutalist estate buildings stained like decaying molars and arranged around central cart yards, only ever destined to be battlefields. Just cool sentences here. Uh, <laughs> the overarching problem with this, with them is not to Neith's eyes how they were laid out, but what they were intended to do. They are boxes for the storage of surplus persons. The message of uselessness in the stones is not hard to unpack, and the, and the inhabitants read it as soon as they, are, they saw where they are put. From there, the project ground itself down into a slurry of low expectations and simmering rage. The old century produced a lot of these slow-cooking anger farms, and the heat they have built up is soaked into the earth, and the people so deep that even the system cannot immediately take it away. So yeah, an older part of town, what would be considered you know something like a housing project today. And so she's walking around the neighborhood. She sees a man walking a dog. He takes a picture of her, flagging her as suspicious. And then the witness immediately sends him a message back saying, this is an inspector. Everything's good. Neith finds the guy attractive and considers asking him out. Uh, she runs a search in the witness in case he's a plant, you know, to thwart the investigation. But then she pauses it uh, just in case she does ask him out. You don't want to know everything about somebody. You want right. to make the date interesting. Yes. <laughs> so she makes it to Hunter's house, makes a note that the house is well trafficked. It's compared to like a witch's hut or a wise woman's house. It's old fashioned, but not decaying or dusty. It's uh, very consciously designed and filled with books and curios, beaded curtains between, you know, between rooms, carved, ma carved masks on the walls. Lots of things have, were previously broken and have since been repaired, which is an oddity because in this future society, much like in our age, it's much easier to just get something new instead. Paints this picture of Hunter as a very sentimental sort of person and a very sort of tactile, you know, concerned with objects and, and things and, and sort of the meaning of them. Neith sees her books on the shelf and goes, grabs them to, uh, off the shelf and begins with the Querendo Invenientis. She says, the cover features a golden splash that at first she takes to be a bird, possibly an eagle or condor spread across a vivid red background. Under closer scrutiny, the condor design is revealed to not be a bird, but a necklace or kirtle in a pattern that evokes a tentative connection with South America. So keeping these here in the old brain folder, gold on red, gold being either an eagle or condor or a necklace or kirtle and South America 
Cool. The book turns out to be blank. It's a publisher's proof and all of her other books on the shelf are also blank, which will come into play later. While she's looking at the book, she feels just in change of pressure, a door having opened and closed and another person entered the house. Uh, But because the house is a Faraday cage, she can't use the witness to figure out who it is. So she goes to investigate and encounters meaningful character here by the name of Regno Lernrot, R-E-G-N-O-L-O-N-N-R-O-T, a vaguely uh, German phonetic construct. It's uh, perhaps sounds like learn rote or, you know, like rote learning, R-O-T-E. Anyway, Lernrot says, I grant you it's somewhat a somewhat pretentious name, but that is hardly my fault. One might translate it as the kingdom of the red maple. A very small demesne, I don't know this word, D-E-M-E-S-N-E, uh, alas, restricted entirely to myself. Uh, anyway, so Lernro is dresses in all black. Let's see. Says Lern, uh, she cannot uh, uh, she cannot tell absolutely if this person is male or female. Possibly there is no perfect answer. Lernrote is lean and elegant with beautiful hands, the fingers narrow and presently steepled. The expression on the androgynous face is quizzical. It might be wryly appreciative or perhaps mocking. Lernrote wears black clothes, a black crew neck, black jacket, black trousers, black boots with Cuban heels, black hair, too white skin, something suggestive of surgery or disease, shoulders quite square but slender, a pop idol now retired, a would-be vampire, a club owner, a sociopath, a method actor, a classic Warhol image come to life, attribution skitter across the pale face, slip away, no frame, and no data connection either because the house is a Faraday cage. For the first time in her adult life, the inspector has no idea who she's talking to. So that was that was like a shotgun blast of descriptions of one person. Yeah. So this kind of spooky vampire person smoking a black cigarette or no, just finished. There's a black cigarette in the ashtray kind of a, a very noir or detective story villain, kind of like Mycroft ish. If, if she's the homes, um, if Neith is the homes, but yeah, the, it's a very unsettling, they make it seem very unsettling to encounter a stranger, <laughs> which is right, yeah. such, such a normal part of, you know, our lives, but yeah, something that's, literally never happened to her since she was a kid. Anyway, Lernrote asks, uh, have you, uh, they sit down and talk because Neith doesn't really know what else to do. (laughs) And uh, uh, Lernrote asks, uh, have you found her diaries? Uh, You should very much wish to bring them to me because they are dangerous, which is an interesting little tidbit there. Uh, Lernrote demonstrates uh, that they're familiar with Neith's biography and work, describes themselves as something of a fan, including breaking down some details of a case, which I'll talk about in a sec, involving the wax man. Lernrote says that Hunter was clear-eyed and undiluted. She was a deep thinker, not least upon her own mistakes. She was a contrarian. Lernrote also asks, have you have you yet come across the fire judges? Uh, <laughs> Nia th- tries to keep with some noirish banter and says, uh, if you're asking me to a concert, you're going to be disappointed. She says, no, no, no. In the medieval tradition, the fire judges were five men and women living on earth whose task it is to reveal, literally to decrypt the mysterious choices of God, to unhide and demystify the divine. Like Orpheus or Prometheus, they are the gateway to the heavenly city, the spinal conduit, 
between the mundane world and the divine one. Uh, and then later she says, no, actually there is a band <laughs> called the fire judges. They're, they're playing at a bar in town. I think you'd really like them. Classical jazz, a fusion. You could go, you should go see them sometime. How dare. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so they ruminate a little bit on the duality of the assassin and the detective. Lernroth's just going for it, man. Lernroth's just saying all sorts of like cryptic and creepy and bizarre things and just really weirding out Neith. Gets into this idea of the duality of the assassin and the detective, how they're, you know, so closely entangled with each other through the act of murder. They're mirror images and so much depends on the angle of your view. And then I have a quote here. Lernroth says, you are concerned that I am your nemesis in this matter. In fact, I am not a villain. I believe that in the end, you and I will find ourselves on the same side. Neith asks, the same side of what? The case, of course. Perhaps everything else as well. Your interest being in everything? In the case. Oh, well, there is a group of people with whom I was recently commissioned to conduct some business. It is a personal matter, a debt to be repaid. So, uh, Here's another one for the brain folder here. A group of people with whom I was recently commissioned to conduct some business. It is a personal matter, a debt to be repaid. Uh, so this is Lernroth's angle in this, allegedly. And when do you find them, these people? Uh, client privilege, I'm afraid. Let's say while on the one hand, I have greatest respect for their work, I am concerned as to its aim, directionality once more. Their disposition must determine my response. Fire judges. Normally, she would gloss the word in her glasses, compare secondary meanings with context, not in Hunter's Faraday cage later. She imagines herself sitting at her desk running the search so that she'll remember to do it. Uh, They drink some whiskey together. (laughs) She asks, was Diana Hunter one of those people who you're commissioned to? Lernroth says, that is more complicated. I believe that ultimately, and given that she's dead, that rather overused expression has acquired its true significance. Ultimately, she was not, but connected to them, indeed, and connected to you. Simply everyone is connected these days, don't you find? Even someone like Ms. Hunter. Inspector, I am worried for you. I find myself torn. I fear this case may take you to places where you will not be safe. So I find myself torn is... Okay, I didn't find this out. I'm just going to spill the beans on this right now. I was going to save this until... uh, I'm going to save this particular rebus until later until I, when I found it out okay. while reading the book, but there is a puzzle within Lenroth's name. Oh, so yeah, the, the spelling is important in this sense. R E G N O L O N N R O T. Let me write this down. Yeah. Okay. What's, okay. Well, R R E N R E G N O L O N N R O T. All right. And then one more quote here. Lenroth says, at a certain point, Inspector, you are going to ask yourself a certain question. It is a long question, not a question that can be answered or indeed asked in so many words. It is expressed in stages because the answer to each section opens the door to the next. The truth is rotational, is a pattern of responses arranged around a core. You are a woman traversing the skins of an onion. As one uncovers one answer, it vanishes away to reveal another. All are true, and each contains within it a claim to the origins of the next until the whole is visible at one time and is revealed to be quite different than what was suggested by the individual parts. But it begins very simply. How? You will say, did they murder her? That's what I'm investigating. No, no. At present, you are merely investigating your own investigation. You are looking for the right puzzle, the thing out of place, a bed bolted to the floor, the stolen goose, the bearded lepidopterist. (laughs) 
I think these are examples from classic sleuth cases and such, but basically, you know, she's not really looking to see if Hunter was murdered because she believes in the system. So Lern wrote, says at some point you will say did they murder her uh neith says all right in that case they who lanrote shakes her head slowly oh sorry lanrote's head twists left then right then back again a little too slowly that was the shake of a head the inspector realizes done by someone who doesn't know how okay (laughs) what would you do if you discovered in the course of your inquiries that the world is coming to an end would you still investigate the case or run naked through the streets and celebrate the last hours of your fleeting existence in an explosion of carnal excesses? Do you think one has more value than the other? Neith says, the world is not about to end. <laughs> and Lernro responds, honestly, who can really say? There's a mention here of stegon- steganography, which is important. Do you know what steganography is? I've heard it maybe four times in my life. Okay. So it's the process of concealing information within other information. The type that I know most specifically is you can have like, like a image file, right? Like a PNG file Uh and you can change the color of a few of the pixels so imperceptibly that you'd never see it just looking at it. But the, the degree of change, what you change within those pixels conceals a hidden message. There's just, you, you hide information within that. Right. So okay. th- I think that's an example of steganography rather than the entire field or practice. But uh, Len wrote says, yes, uh, steganography is all around you. You will go down where all the ladders start. And from that underworld, you will believe you believe you will retrieve the truth of Diana Hunter, but you will only find ghosts and apparitions. If you bring them back with you into the waking world and do not test their reality too strictly, you will be promoted and you will move on to your next case. If you turn and question them, they will fade away into darkness and you will be lost upon your road. The journey is not guaranteed to end well. It is not guaranteed to end at all. Perhaps you will catch the killer or a killer. Perhaps there was no hunter, no world until yesterday, and tomorrow there will be nothing once again. Forgive me. I I mean only that you may wish to step away from the chase. (laughs) And then Neith says, you're forgiven, but also you're under arrest. This is a protected crime scene. And, you know, you have interfered with things, you know, reads her her rights and so on, uh, reads, sorry, reads Lernrot their rights and so on. And uh, Lernrot says, okay, fine, but let's, uh, let's trade one last question in the spirit of investigative collegiality. It's what Bogart would do. Uh, Neith feels the tug of Lernrot's gamble and surprises herself. One question. I realize I have two. You, will you be so much a sinner as to, to be a double dealer? One, a sigh. Well, then, how long ago do you think Diana Hunter's interrogation started? She answers without hesitation. Interrogation cases are always closed in 12 to 18 hours. People just don't have more than that in their heads. So it only takes 12 to 18 hours to to get through all of their the entirety of a person. Yeah. Okay. Knowing, as she says it, that if that was the answer, then Lernrot would not have asked. Lernrot nods. Indeed so. She considers, tell me about the diaries. Turns out that she doesn't tell her anything. The inspector shakes her head. I thought we were playing straight. Yes, well, the mark always does. Lernrot stands, extends both hands as if for cuts, but then closes the distance between them with unearthly speed. Neith reaches for her taser, but she gets hit upside the head, knocked out. There's a brief dream sequence of Neith 
sitting next to Diana Hunter on a park bench and they're feeding pigeons together, but, uh, but she's unable to see Hunter's face as she moves around the bench. So she puts her curiosity away. Lernrot was wrong, she thinks. It's not the assassin the detective is paired with, but the victim, whose death is a kind of notice of debt to be served upon those who could not keep her alive. So good illustration of Neith's character and where she's coming from and all this, you know, she really feels this duty bound to uh, the victims and the people who are done poorly by the world to do everything she can to investigate and set everything right. Learn route. They also have within this chapter, uh, this like deeply considered defense of pulp and, and pulp fiction. So learn routes really playing into this idea of a pulp villain. Anyway, the, the dream sequence ends abruptly. Neith stumbles out of the house and calls, you know, for the uh, presses the emergency button on her glasses. But turns out she would never have needed it anyway because the witness flagged her for help as soon as she went inside a Faraday cage. <laughs> and so help is coming back automatically. And she knows that right now she's going to pass out and as she does, Diana Hunter's dreams and memories will unfold inside her head. Final quote here. She closes her eyes and lets go of all this needless fuss. A moment later, she nearly screams when she quite unexpectedly sees a shark. And that's the end of the chapter. Okay. So, so here we have the main antagonist or Lernrot doesn't really see themselves this way, but you know, they knocked out Hunter. So <laughs> let's go with antagonist. <laughs> is introduced and the investigation proper starts. We get a lot of very cryptic and weird things being said in this sort of, yeah, pulpy detective fiction style. And next chapter, we start with the shark. Uh, what else is I going to say? Regno. Yeah. He said that their, their name is a puzzle. Yeah. Is it just because of what their name is backwards? Yes. I didn't get that until, yeah, much, much later, but yes. Because, you know, going in with all of the, you know, the assassin and the makes mentioned several times of it all depends on which direction you're looking in. So, yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Oh, (laughs) got it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So torn no longer. Torn no longer. Yeah. That only ended up saying, I, um, was it, uh, uh, word searches? Uh Uh-huh. Um, Oh, yeah. Growing up, I spent a lot of time (laughs) training my eyes to learn how to read letters in all the directions. Yeah, totally. And like span out to find random words that may or may not be there. Yeah, Um, with the capitalization in the space. But yeah, torn no longer. And it, Lenrot did say earlier, I am torn. So, right. Yeah. Anyway. Do you have any other, I have a couple, like just a grab bag of, of uh, stuff that may or may not be important later, but if you have any more questions. uh, No. Okay, cool. So yeah, I'll look up that quote, uh, a woman in the prime of life, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So in the, at the very, there's, there's a, a long quote here that I actually want to go for. This is towards the very beginning of the book. This is page four when uh, it's kind of first introducing Neith. And it says, in a few moments, she will start work and the day will set her inevitably on the path to the involuted alkahest. She is just hours from her first meeting with weird cartilaginous Linrup. Just over a week, (laughs) just over a week 
from her loss of faith in everything she has believed in her life. As she steps out of her slippers and begins to wash, finding in the animal business of grooming the growing understanding of her body and its place in the process that is her, she is stepping not only onto the cracked white shower tray, but also onto that road, the one which conducts her without let or hindrance to a point of crisis, to endings and apocatastasis. Real quick, apocatastasis is the fe- uh, is a feeling of being feeble or lacking vigor or substance. It's a word that'll come up again. She cu- she apprehends this now with knowledge that she has from her limited vantage point inside the flow of events not yet gleaned. But that knowledge is so significant that its echo reaches her even here, gathered in the slipstream of the chamber of Isis and the most complex and saintly murder in the history of crime. Neith's consciousness is atoliated this morning because it touches itself irregularly along its own extension of time, a contact that makes her almost almost, but crucially, not quite prescient. Instead of foresight, the inspector gets a migraine. And in that small difference, she sets her feet on the pattern that must eventually lead her to all of the things that I've already mentioned, but most fatefully, fatally to me. So few key things there. One, there's a mention of the Alkahest. There's a mention of Lernro as cartilaginous, which is a strange thing. There's a mention of apocatastasis, is a mention of the chamber of Isis. And there's a first person narrator in here. Remember I said last pod that all of Diana Hunter's memories, as well as like, as we'll get into later, all of the sub characters, anything that is coming from her is narrated in this sans serif font. Right. Yeah. And all of the chapters that focus on Neith are in serif Serif. font. Mm-hmm. And Neith's narration is all in third person, okay. right? Like it always refers to Neith as the fir- as the third person. But this is serif font, and it says it will lead her to me. Oh, yeah. This is something that I completely forgot about until the reread here. So that's creepy. <laughs> Let's see a few more. Th- oh. Uh, I mentioned the the case with Waxman, the Waxman before. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was there was a one of uh, Neith's first cases in the serious crimes unit. Uh, she arrested drug importers and corrupt bankers, and then caught the eye of the system and the nation when she scooped a minor clue from the wastebasket and followed it all the way to what became known as the Cartier Smash and Grab. On the same day, Neith picked up the thread. A high technology criminal gang based in France ram raided a jewelry vault and tried to fly back across the channel with microlight aircraft with neith's information in its electronic hand the system's active countermeasures aspect was able to penetrate their navigation software and land the gang at a military airfield for convenient arrest only one member of uh, escaped the net a secure intrusion specialist and counter surveillance expert known internationally as the wax man who had chosen an, a separate exit strategy and took refuge in the embassy of a friendly foreign power. The incompleteness has always annoyed her and the wax man with nothing else to do occasionally sends her taunting messages. So there's a big criminal gang thing going on. The wax man was somebody who had some sort of way to baffle or penetrate the system even a little bit and got away way and has been holed up in an embassy in London. So kind of like Julian Assange type scenario. Yeah. So that's the wax man. Next one, when I think I mentioned this last episode, but 
when Hunter is under interrogation, she sees her mind on the screen, but it's actually screens on all the walls. So all four walls have something are, mm-hmm. you know, painted or decorated or, or shown with a thing that it, it will be a connection to a thing later. One of the voting disputes is an intellectual property thing. And it says someone designed a game, someone else designed the story that framed it. And now they are at odds. That seems similar to something that'll come up later. Diana mentioned having a daughter at one point in the interrogation, but there's no record of it in her in her life. Uh, in her, like online profile or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also between that and Hind observing that they look like one another and that when Neith enters the house, she has an eerie feeling of homecoming says the sense of homesickness is vertiginous and overwhelming. I'm not sure if this is Diana's influence in her brain having been downloaded or speaking to some sort of connection between them. Again, Diana being downloaded in her brain is not supposed to come out while she's conscious at all, ever. But I don't know if that means that it is imperfect or if there is some larger connection about 30 years difference if they look alike. Right. Okay. That's mother, daughter. Uh, that's, that's what I was going to say. You said something an, about a 30 yeah, year. That is an operating different uh, operating theory that I'm going with right now. Lonerot's first appearance, uh, their face is seen through a large jar and it's compared to the underside of a stingray. When asked how they got into Diana's ha- house, Lonerot says, perhaps I have a key or perhaps I can walk through walls. Walking through walls is potentially a thing later. Uh, <laughs> also... Diana, it says that she used to have all of the sort of creature comforts and connected devices, you know, washing machines that can notice a a difference in your sweat or soiling patterns and, you know, say, oh, you might have cancer or something like that. Like all of the different, you know, connected devices of the future world she used to have, but one by one, she got rid of them, not as a a grand sort of like turning away, but more realizing she didn't like them and didn't want them as part of her life. But there's also a picture in Diana's house of uh, herself young as a studiously attractive woman in in 20th century glasses, standing proudly before a huge stack of something that might be multi-perf computer printout. And then Lernrot says, do you know, for simply years, I believe devoutly that she also played the Wicked Witch and now here she is in this house looking at me from her frame, or am I looking at her from mine? Again, directionality, but it also connects to theories of who I think Lone Rote might be, which I'll get into in future episodes. Lone Rote's defense of pulp was fun, especially because we're reading comics on this podcast. <laughs> and I just love any connection, any opportunity to point at my obsession with comics, my obsession with postmodern novels and be like, hey, this isn't that different. (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. So that's all I have for chapter one. And next week, it gets even weirder. Man. So how did you come across this book? It was recommended on Warren Ellis's newsletter back before we all didn't know what shitty things he'd done. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, just, it sounded fantastic and absolutely the type of thing that I'm into. So yeah, I was curious. Cool, man. Yeah. Well, it's heavy. It's there's a, I should there's, say it's dense. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot here. It's, you know, it's, it's heavy physically. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I'm excited to, again, it just, gets crazier and crazier from here cool man 
I'm anything down. else anything else you want to say before we head on out no uh i'm excited the aftermath of most crossovers typically is a a, a time of telling new stories new directions so with outlawed and empire in the bag i'm uh excited to see what marvel is doing next even though next week is just empire side stories yeah um, so are yeah. we we're i think there's both an empire x-men mini and also empire tie-ins within the x-men title proper i don't think so really so empire x-men so it's called empire x-men issues one through four yeah and then dawn 13 has empire x-men issues one and two and dawn 14 has empire x-men issues three and four right but also x-men like 10 11 and 12 or something are in dawn's 13 and 14 yeah they are connected to empire in some way oh they are yeah Oh man. Okay. All right. <laughs> well then, I guess we'll throw maybe, that on. Maybe maybe we should maybe we should do just Empire uh X-Men tie-ins to Empire separate. Yeah, and then I guess then next week or the week after we could do Dawn 13 through 16 and yes. off Dawn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, there's 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 a there's half of a half of a percent of me that's like, are you just pulling my leg because you want to read some more Don? <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's it's for real, I promise. Okay, yeah. So uh, we'll do some. So next week we're gonna do chapter two of, of Nomon and Empire Side Stories. Yeah. And then the week after that will be Don of X, uh, Giant Size X Men Volume Four. Or issue five. I don't know which number on, but just be giant size X Men. Yeah, doing Dawn thirteen through sixteen, and then we'll be off doing our own thing. And then somewhere relatively soon, we're gonna do uh, X of Swords. Hell yeah! I have the first volume of Reign of X. Okay, uh, that only just recently came out. Okay, um, and oh, so the, there's the Hellfire Gala, which right. I have to figure out how that's go- if that's a like a book. Or if it's just like two issues or whatever right. like that. The yeah. other event that I know of is the trial of Magneto. Huh. Okay. So that's interesting. No kidding. I wonder if he kills a human. Oh. I just don't know. I yeah. just don't know. Oh, man. I'm oh, also, man. Okay. I really, 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 really want to see Moira McTaggart come back. Yeah, that's the that's the million dollar question, isn't it? The fuck is she yeah. doing? What the fuck? How is she dare doing? she? How dare she? Set like this set whole this thing off? in motion, <laughs> right? And then just peace out and just well, she never came back, right? Like publicly, we got the backstory on her, but she hasn't publicly revealed herself oh, since right. she faked her death in '99 or whatever. Uh, yeah, that's true, huh? Powers yeah. of Ten was all just backstory and forward story inside back story. and forward story <laughs> none of it was current <laughs> none of it was 616 current yeah oh my gosh yeah and then like there's just i'm i'm so excited to get through at least the dawn of x um era because yeah. i want to see how many questions they answer with more cliffhangers oh my god yeah um like because and i only know from like the front and the back cover of the of the dawns but like one of them has phantom x one of the covers has oh. phantom x on it 
Yeah, I think one of the yeah one of the giant size uh, X Men is Phantom X, and, and I'm just like, oh my X, gosh, the X and the yeah 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 because they have Xavier in yeah. his body and all that yeah because yeah. yeah. I I just assumed that Xavier was going to not bring Phantom X back because he took his body <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just like we're just not going to cross that bridge. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm just. I'm now that we've established what we're doing over the next two weeks. I am very excited for uh, continued yeah. comics. Me too. Um, I was anticipatory of the future, but now I'm excited of the future. <laughs> Hell yes! But yeah, so I guess we'll call it at that, and call it. Um, I guess we could put the outro music here. Okay. And I will uh, talk to you sometime soon. I'm sure I'll I'll let you know when I hit. Yeah. Sounds great. All right, man. All right. Take it easy, man.